This episode of The Energy Pipeline is sponsored by Caterpillar Oil & Gas. Since the 1930s, Caterpillar has manufactured engines for drilling, production, well service, and gas compression. With more than 2,100 dealer locations worldwide, Caterpillar offers customers a dedicated support team to assist with their premier power solutions. The Energy Pipeline is your lifeline to all things oil and gas, to drill down deep into the issues impacting our industry. From the frack site to the future of sustainability, hear more about industry issues, tools, and resources to streamline and modernize the future of oil and gas. Welcome to the Energy Pipeline. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Energy Pipeline. It is me, your host, Jordan Yates. Today, I am joined with Keaton Mayers, the General Manager of Manufacturing and Engineering at Warren Cat. Keaton, say hello. Hello, everybody. Keaton, are you tired? That's a lot of things to be the general manager of. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you it's all in a day's work. Oh my goodness. Well, guys, we are recording from PBIO, the Permian Basin International Oil Show. I guess I forgot the S at the end, but nonetheless, I'm excited to be here. We are at the Warren Cat booth. How do you think it turned out? I I think our team did an amazing job here putting together a in an awesome exhibit here and a great place for customers to come and visit. Yeah, I know it really is, guys. If you are watching this via video or you're here in person, you'll see that there are some ginormous engines and some really cool things to come and see at this booth. Keaton, I'm just going to get right into it. Our first topic is going to be around advanced machinery design. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Keaton, could you explain how advanced technology particularly particularly in machinery design and engineering, is contributing to more sustainable heavy equipment. Like that's kind of like a long way of saying, like how are you guys making the heavy equipment better? So, you know, I think it's uh, a multitude of different things. So you've got all the way down to the basic materials that we're building things with from, uh, you know, ground engagement tools, and then all the way up to our engines and the components we're putting inside of it. Um, in the last, you know, couple of years, you've really seen a, um, a large advancement um, to our horsepower ratings and efficiencies, and a mm-hmm. lot of that can be attributed to newer technologies and um, better ways to simulate things throughout to predictive failures and things of that nature. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool because I was telling uh, someone from your marketing team earlier, I sit behind me and there's this huge engine and it's literally everything that we studied in our mechanical engineering degrees of like all these engines. And I look at it now and I'm like, I could not tell you how that thing works. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's from, uh, you know, from today's uh, applied engineering to uh um, book engineering in school, you know, you, you use, utilize a lot of the basics, but uh, when you get to something this large, it's a, it's a different ball game. Absolutely. And guys, the, the joke helps because Keaton and I both studied mechanical engineering at Texas Tech. So we have the uh, roughly the same education, give or take. <laughs> wreck them. <laughs> oh, yes, wreck them. Uh, so next, I want to talk about some emission reduction technologies. What within, I mean, I guess the the engine we're sitting behind kind of qualifies, but what technologies would you say are rather cutting edge in reducing emissions that you guys are working on? So, you know, there's, um, you've got the simplest ideas of, you know, idle reduction, 
um, which is basically just like the auto off feature on your car when you're sitting at a red light it shuts down and mm -hmm. then when you come back online um, for the demand so that you got you know simply you're not burning fuel so there is no emissions yeah um, and then you know there's the engine optimization softwares um, a lot of control you know talking from a control standpoint the engine optimizations that are putting their engines at the most efficient place so um, more efficiency, less fuel burn, less emissions, right? Yeah. And then, you know, we go all the way into um, fully electric. So, you know, Caterpillar's got some uh, full electric um, heavy equipment. And then we're also, you know, in the space of powering some of that heavy um, heavy equipment, all electric, mm -hmm. whether it's frack fleets, um, uh, drilling rigs, different things of that nature that have traditionally been burned using diesel. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about now natural gas or even, you know, this large engine here behind us, the DGB. So mm -hmm. replacing the diesel that we used to burn now with natural gas, meeting all the tier four emissions requirements. So, um, you know, there's multitude of different things that we're today implementing to make that better. Yeah, that's really cool that you get to be a part of that because sometimes I feel like we went to school, we studied all these like engine types and then right out of school everything starts going electric and i'm just like okay how do we balance these two like it's so much to learn so quickly do you feel like warren cat has taught you a lot about like i guess all the different kinds of power types absolutely so you know caterpillar being a great company to partner with you know as mm -hmm. a dealership um, we get a lot of insight and a lot of tools to work within uh, the different types of power distribution, the power management, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's natural gas, diesel, electric, and they really help us learn and understand that yeah. um, to give the best offering to our customers. I think on one of our first few episodes, we had somebody on from CAT, totally different division, but they were talking about how a lot of these machines are getting smarter, able to collect data. That way you guys are able to be fully optimized. How is the data analytics and collection in these large power systems um, helping to make them better? So, you know, um, from a, there's a multitude. You've got uh, just maintenance cycling. Um, mm -hmm. Before, a lot of customers were doing, uh, call it, I'm going to run it for this many days, and then I'm going to do my, my PM maintenance. Mm -hmm. um, now we've got um, hour meter readings, all-time all data. We have live data to analyze how things are performing, and we can make adjustments as they're happening in the field. So for optimization, the best thing to do is, is just have the data at hand. Yeah. And telematics makes that readily available, um, and we can analyze that um, as it's happening. Yeah, that's really cool. I feel like in the manufacturing world, sometimes preventative maintenance is kind of a dirty word if you're actually talking to the maintenance guys because they're like, I don't want to do more work than I already have to do. But something I like about Caterpillar's equipment is it seems like you guys are making it easy for them, yes. relatively speaking, you know, as much yeah, as you can. Yeah. As easy as you can, but, you know, uh, preventative maintenance prevents failures. And then also with the telematic systems, sometimes we can catch things going wrong before they actually do. And then um, with the integration of artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. um, we're seeing more and more that um, predictive failure analytics is actually going to help that even further. That's nice, especially if you can prevent downtime when you know, you're know you using all these technologies. Mm -hmm. You could save people a lot of money yes, and you could save yourself a lot of hair by not having to rip it out. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of headaches, a lot of downtime. And yeah. um, you know when you have assets such as these out, uh, a lot of money invested so failures are not only costly from a um from just a cost from a repair standpoint but mm -hmm. also from a uh, not being able to use something 
Keen, I don't believe that this is your first podcast. You're killing it. I, I feel like the <laughs> listeners are just like, man, this guy knows what's up. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm going to try to challenge you then. Uh, could you share some insights into the development and the adoption of the electric motors and the hybrid ones, or was that a little before your time? So, you know, electric motors is a little before my time. If you really talk about the electrification of the oil field, mm -hmm. um, you know, the drilling rigs were the first to electrify, and that's been going for several years now. Um, and now we're talking with electric frack fleets, electric um, cool tubing units. Um, I think if we can replace a diesel engine or a hydraulic motor with an electric motor, um, there's a lot of people going that direction just mm -hmm. from an efficiency standpoint. Um, you know, the, the electric game or the electric uh, shift, um, if you really look at it from an engineering standpoint, uh, much more efficient. You have less maintenance. Um, the power transmission. You're not. You don't have to use a transmission to to move power through. So your efficiencies are a lot higher, and you have a lot better control. So yeah. with the variable frequency drives that most people are using today to do the control with, they're you know instantaneous with PLCs to get that response that they're looking for. Yeah, the the more I see this electrification happening, the more I wish I would have paid attention during our controls lab. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, I had to relearn all this back in my career because it is just so much that's like integrated now that I never thought would have crossed over unless you were like in a facility or something mm -hmm. like that. So it's yes. it's definitely fun that in this landscape now we're seeing more skill sets, more electrical type people entering our workforce, and I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, can you? I, I feel like we skipped right past this in the beginning but can you kind of explain how warren cat being a cat dealer is like what they contribute i mean you have the cat engines but what does the warren side do if you will so at warren cat from an engine side or how we work um you know we take our customers needs and we work with cat to determine you know what's the best option for our customers and then mm -hmm. also um there is feedback to cat on what our customer demands are if we yeah. don't have a product that fits so um, not only are we there to help sell the product, but um, we're also there to service the product after the sale. So that's a lot, of, a large part of our business as well is just taking care of our customers yeah. um, from a service perspective after you've bought the asset. So helping working with Cat there as well to make sure that we have the parts and the pieces that are needed to keep these customer assets up and running. Absolutely. So next, I want to ask you less electrification, more alternative fuels. So we've heard a lot about the innovations in alternative fuels for heavy equipment. I guess here, natural gas would kind of be one of them. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about their feasibility and how they fit into the sustainability landscape? Yep. So, you know, natural gas before, you know, natural gas has been around the oil field forever. Yeah. You know, it's part of it. Um, but previously, you know, natural gas was not an option to power some of these things that we're using it for today. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the responsiveness and the ability to react to different changing uh, of power demands. Um, today, with the newer technology and the newer product design, um, you know, it's been enabled Caterpillar to um, compete in a market that we previously couldn't compete in from, a, yeah. you know, whether it was a power generation or... Um, a, uh, you know, some of the other technologies that they're researching today, mm -hmm. you know, even alternative fuel, you know, hydrogen, we've got engines now that run on 100% hydrogen Ooh, in the power generation space, um, and even um, HVOs, okay. um, so for for replacement for diesel, so wow. um, in, in, you know, in the DGB space as well, you know, implementing at natural gas to replace diesel. Um, 
you know, from a cat perspective, I think they've done really well in adapting to the landscape and, mm-hmm. and you know, meeting customer demands of, hey, I need to reduce emissions. Um, and then through this, you know, we go electrification, but um, and a lot of times, you know, our power grid is not able to keep up with that, or or it's not. <laughs> Don't even, get me started on the power grid, man. We go all day. <laughs> or or simply the the power is not the grid is not at the location that they need the power. So um, the next best thing is you know a natural gas um, generator to provide that power for the electrification yeah. side. So whether you know, there's a multitude of options. You can go turbines, you can go reciprocating engines, um, you can go diesel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some some places that's even happening and just being the most efficient with it. Yeah, it's kind of funny. We had somebody talk on uh, the electrification, the oil field on here a few episodes ago. And I don't know why, but whenever I think electricity in terms of sustainability and we're changing, we're electrifying, I think, oh, we're using batteries, which I know natural gas equals electricity. But I was like, how are we just using giant batteries out here? And then he clarified, no, like we're using natural gas in these engines. Like this is the new sustainable thing versus Mm -hmm. diesel. So it's always seems like we're comparing like one type to another. But would you say natural gas is becoming a really heavily adopted fuel source right now? It is becoming a heavily adopted fuel source. And then, you know, it's funny you talk about batteries. You know, Caterpillar has entered the battery game. They've made several um, great leaps in technology there. We do have batteries now that work with our natural gas engines that, okay. um, you know, part of the part of the issues with natural gas engines is the responsiveness, but adding the battery technology in place will help that responsiveness where it can um, quickly respond to some of the changes that are going on. Yeah, so something, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, that I think is interesting about these natural gas-powered engines or the, the is it dual, not dual, um, what's the D stand for in DGB? Uh, dynamic. Dynamic, there we go. Um, <laughs> the dynamic engines is the fact that a lot of times there are states that have restrictions on flaring the gas that you are getting right there on site and that you can take that gas and then put it back into that engine right there. Is that correct? Yep. So I, I don't know if you saw outside, we have a, a trailer out here called a G2, made by G2. It. Mm-hmm. What that is, is a refrigeration skid. So um, to get the best substitution ratings and things of that nature, some of the fuel we burn or come encounter with has to be treated before it can actually be burned in these yeah. engines. Um, and so we've we've partnered with some other people to help provide that and, and create that another technology that we bring into the oil field, right, mm-hmm. um, to actually treat that fuel so we have a, a good product to run in these engines, which also helps maintain the life of them. Yeah, that's cool to me because uh, a while ago we had an episode around, you know, sustainability and ESG, and there's like all of our scopes of emissions, and it's like maybe we could be scope one carbon net zero because we aren't emitting on scene but it's like okay when you factor in the trucking of the natural gas to the scene like that's a different level of emissions and so it's cool when you could take stuff on site and not add in the logistics layer to actually you know get closer to these carbon goals um but enough on that because i could keep going down that hole Uh, (laughs) let's get into materials innovation so are there any noteworthy developments in materials used in the heavy machinery that are contributing to both durability and sustainability so um from a durability standpoint there definitely is um from the sustainability side, you'd get me lying here. Uh, I'm not. What about durability <laughs> then? Let's talk durability. I mean, I, I, there's, you know, um, I was actually just out in the shop the other day and um, there was a piston setting on the shelf that a guy was working on and it had a coating on it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just some of these things that um, have not been around for a long time in engines. You know, a lot of before 
um, you didn't put coatings in engines because they flaked off and they got in oil filters and they got in fuel trains yeah. and, and they wrecked havoc. But now we're able to produce coatings that are able to either redu- redu- um, resist heat, reduce friction, um, things of that nature that are really helping from a durability standpoint. And then mm-hmm. I guess you could say sustainability because it's prolonging the life as well. Yeah. I mean, to me, that counts as sustainability, but I'm also, you know, not like in charge of defining what sustainability <laughs> is. But if I were, I would call that sustainable. <laughs> Can you tell me who is? <laughs> I'd like to talk to them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Can we get a clear definition? Absolutely. I'm sure there's one out there, but I'm unwilling to read it. Um <laughs> Okay, what about the life cycle assessments? We kind of spoke on that with, you know, the durability is leading to longer lives, but, sorry, life of materials, not lives in general. Um, But sustainability is not just about the equipment's operation. It's also about the entire life cycle. So how does Warren Cat approach life cycle assessments to minimize environmental impact? So um, from a Caterpillar standpoint, we do a lot in the remanufacturing of engines. So Yeah. Um, you know, when a engine reaches, you know, 80,000 hours worth of used running life, we'll bring it in, completely tear it down and rebuild the engine using, you know, a large part of the same components. Um, mm-hmm. And then sending, we work with Caterpillar, they have a remanufacturing program, so we can purchase remanufactured heads, remanufactured pistons. Um, and then, so that adds to the sustainability because not only are we, um, rebuilding a product, we're also re- u- reusing a product that had a previous life as well. So, yeah. um, from a sustainability and a remanufacturing capabilities, you know, the Caterpillar engines, you know, probably one of the best as far as rebuild capabilities. That's pretty sweet. Our uh, one of our co-hosts, Lizzie Hurt, she said that she's really interested in the aspect of the. What, what is it called? The remanufacturing of them. She said that you guys do a really good job there. And Caterpillar is apparently pretty well known for that, which is great because like I said, guys, if you could see the size of these engines to just have to like throw it away, I don't know how you would do that. So like, <laughs> thank God we can remanufacture. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's not easy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can just like recycle. So I'm glad that we're in the business of remanufacturing. Um, Earlier, we talked a little bit about predictive maintenance and, well, preventative maintenance. I don't Mm -hmm. know if we got as much into predictive, Mm -hmm. but can you tell us a little bit more about how you guys are doing that through your advanced technology? Maybe nerd out a little, get a little bit deeper into it. So so predictive maintenance. So we can start with, um, just start out with oil sampling, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we take, you know, customers bring us in an oil sample. We pull it when the engine's running. We send it into our fluids lab and they do, you know, they break it down and they'll bring out, you know, what constituents are actually in the oil, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, your tins, your coppers and other things. So, so, and also even down to, you know, coolant and other things that are in um, present in the oil that are um, call it contaminants or Mm -hmm. it show a sign of wear. So, you know, you get your copper and your tin and your oil, you know, that you may have a bearing failure um, or, um, you know, if you have coolant in your oil, you may have a predictive failure that you may have a head gasket leaking or a bad turbo or, mm-hmm. you know, there's ways we can track that down. But um, having that predictive, uh, you know, those oil samples is really paramount into being able to know when something's about to fail way before it fails and can prevent, um, you know, destruction of an asset from, you know, sending a rod through the block or, mm-hmm. um, you know, cratering turbos or things of that nature, being able to 
um, really dig into those oil samples there is a is a great big one for us. How often, if you know the answer, would somebody bring you an oil sample to like test it out? Like, is that a regular thing? Um, so. You know, we recommend every 250 hours, mm-hmm. um, you know, roughly in a lot of our applications, that's every 10 days. Wow. Um, and then also when you change the oil. So sometimes I get it. Um, we're in the, the we're in the oil field. Um, not everything is ability to bring that in every 10 days, you know, especially when you think um, some of these sites have 30 to 40 of these engines on it. Bringing, yeah. You know, getting an oil, 30 or 40 oil samples and bringing them in and you know, and on us then to get them all processed and back yeah. to you, um, you know, and we're, we do a great job at that, but you know, at least every oil change, mm-hmm. um, if, if possible, that yeah. would be best, you know, um, would I love it for everybody to bring them in every 250 hours? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time from a feasibility, you know, every oil change, if you can bring us that oil sample so we can run that analyz- analyzation to tell you, Hey, you've got you've got starting to show some some tin wear mm-hmm. in your oil you know maybe it's not this will change but we'll track it over the next five yeah and maybe we say hey this was a, a isolated event or it may even been hey this thing needs to come in for a rebuild before a ca- catastrophic failure so i'm thinking when you're saying this about how if i'm getting my car oil change which i never do exactly on time that you go in and they say, Oh, you have all these other things wrong. How confident are your customers that when you're telling them, Hey, these other things are wrong, that they're like, Oh, they're not just trying to get us to spend more, but they really like, they, they know their business. Well, I mean, so part of that is, you know, there's cat helps us with that Mm -hmm. by, with some help with the diagnostic side of things. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, our, our customer is our main focus. So, um, we want them to return, um, we're not trying to be a used car salesman or, uh, uh, you know, your your place that tells you you need blinker fluid, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but we're, we're really, you know, we're really there for our customers. And if, if we can prevent them from, you know, failing a block um, or spinning a bearing where we're going to have to spend, you know, a couple weeks waiting on machine work to get that engine back in the rebuild facility, when we can say, hey, we can pull it out now and maybe we can just do a cylinder pack and you'll have it back in two days yeah, kind of thing. So... So I guess like I read my mind ahead of time because I was literally about to ask you about customer education and how Warren Cat and then maybe Cat as well helps educate the customers on these engines or trainings or anything that goes along with it. It sounds like you guys are a good resource for when things go wrong, you're a trusted resource. But beyond that, like what are you guys doing to educate your customers? So, you know, that that customer relationship is something we're walking hand in hand with them. Um, to say that we know everything that they're going to face would be a complete lie. So um, we're here as a resource to help with them uh, learning through those situations. And then also we do trainings. Um, we'll bring our customers in. We'll show them what we're what we're doing from uh, on you know repairs and rebuilds. And we'll mm-hmm. also train their technicians and help them um, get through some of these things because you know. Um, not all the time are we available. Um, you know, sometimes it's the middle of the night and most of the time we answer the call, but yeah. sometimes they need somebody right now. And if we can train their people and have that person there already, you know, that's a good thing as well. So um, customer education as far as, you know, especially on these DGB engines, right? Yeah. Um, you know, everybody's chasing max substitution and really to honing in with our customers on how we can achieve those higher rates of substitution is one thing that we have really focused on with several of our customers is spending the time of, you know, you need to run your engine at this speed and work, target this engine load to really get that max substitution and things mm-hmm. of that nature. So we're willing to work with our customers in every aspect. Um, 
most of the time it's just picking up the phone and giving us a call and we're there to help. Yeah, it sounds like you guys do a good job with customer empowerment because if if you didn't, I mean, these are complicated machines. You can't just be like, good luck, yeah. bye. See you, tell yeah. warranty. <laughs> yeah, see you, see you when your warranty's done. Um, but okay, that's, that's good to know. Now, this is a statement that feels more true than any statement I've ever made, um, or at least today. So sustainability efforts often align with regulator, regulatory requirements. Does that feel true to you? Yeah, I would, I would say there, a lot of it is being pushed by regulatory requirements, but mm-hmm. um, also I think a lot of people are just out there to, to do better for everybody else. So. I agree. I agree. But also we are curious of how you guys at Warren Cat are staying ahead of these evolving regulatory requirements because yes, I feel like behind the scenes we're already doing stuff and then the regulatory regulations come up and we're like, okay, cool. We can already meet that. But how do you guys anticipate it? Um, you know, uh, <laughs> us at Warren cat, I would say we rely heavily on our partner Caterpillar mm-hmm. to help us in that. Um, you know, you would need five PhDs, seven lawyers, and, uh, you know, a bunch of other secretaries running around doing paperwork just to try and stay ahead. You know, Caterpillar has that team of people Mm -hmm. they have those connections within other regulatory bodies to understand and learn what those new requirements are going to be and making sure at the same time that we have the correct we have the correct technology coming up to meet those Um, you know a lot of times um, you know Caterpillar gets the opportunity to review some of those because you know they are such a large player yeah Um, it's you can't just take out Caterpillar or you can't take out any of these other people because, you know, your infrastructure and your, a lot of other things are affected by it. So, you know, there, I think there's a large collaboration between Caterpillar and working through some of these um, items to make sure that we're all avail- um, able to meet the sustainability goals and the, the regulatory requirements. Why is regulatory so hard to say? I have to, like, really slow it down. Regulatory. (laughs) Yeah, they just had to make it a difficult word, so we wouldn't talk about it as much. But um, now we're getting towards the end, and I want to ask you about some future outlooks. What do you see as the most promising advancements in technology that will further enhance sustainability efforts or just coming out as a cool technology that you guys are working on? Like, it doesn't have to be something real, but something that you imagine in the future. Well, I mean, or it could be real up to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, the you know I think we're going to see large advancements in the natural gas space. Mm-hmm. Um, naturally, you know, naturally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so whether it be from um, large natural gas engines powering frack fleets mm-hmm. um, to the ability to for um, you know the general public to have access to um, backup power at a cost-effective rate. Um, and then also um, grid support technologies are coming out. And then also um, the big one that's out there is just the battery technology that we're dealing yeah. with. Um, I feel like the battery technology is ever evolving and um, something that's new and top of the line today in a year may be old news. So yeah. um, I think that from a from a technology advancement point, the the electrification and battery technology that we're people are implementing today because of the money mm-hmm. and research that's being spent there that in the past hadn't been. Yeah. I think that's where we're going to see the biggest change for yeah, sure. That definitely sounds like on point for things that really are going to happen. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know what other answer I could have expected other than probably something realistic. You know, you got that engineer mind. Uh, yeah. So um, <laughs> is there, is there anything else that you want to leave with the listeners today? Um, man, 
you throw this on me at the end. I know. That's how we make it interesting. <laughs> uh, well, I think... Um, wreck them? <laughs> no. no, I, I, think, I think the biggest thing is, is that, you know, um, as Caterpillar, we're here to support our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, Warren Cat is in the Permian Basin. We're in Oklahoma. We're here um, for the long term. We're not here just to make the sale. We'll be here to support you um, after the sale. And then, um, you know, from a technology perspective, um, if there's anything that our customers want or need or Mm -hmm. um, have a random idea, give me a call. I'm always open, always available for the random rat chase or, um, you know, wild ideas. Amazing. Well, Keaton, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited that people got to listen to this live and that everybody will be listening to it via podcast soon. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jordan. Come back next week for another episode of the Energy Pipeline, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.